I'm glad you all showed up this morning despite losing an hour of sleep last night. It is Daylight Savings today, which happens to be one of my favorite days of the year, mainly because the sun is out longer, and that means the winter is almost over. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Well, for those who don't know, Pastor Jared and his family are on vacation this week, so he asked me to close out our series in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 this morning. And as you turn there, I want to tell you a story that I read this week. It's a story of a man named Andrew Isbell, who was arrested for drug possession in 2004. And when he appeared for his trial, he showed up to court wearing an army sergeant's uniform with two bronze stars and a purple heart pinned to his chest. He proceeded to tell the jury how he served as an infantry soldier in Iraq He also explained how he received the Purple Heart Medal after he suffered a gunshot wound in his shoulder, which was also why he was on medical leave from the military. So as you can imagine, the jury, as they hear this, they were sympathetic to the fact that he was injured while putting his life on the line to serve our country. And so by the end of the trial, he was acquitted of his charges. Well, as it turns out, A later investigation showed that Andrew Isbell had never once served in combat. He suffered no wounds, and the medals he wore in his uniform that day were not his. In fact, he wasn't even a sergeant. Instead, he worked in food service as a private, and he was later discharged from the Army after being AWOL for two months. And as a result of lying in court, He was later charged with aggravated perjury. This is an example of what's called stolen valor, where an individual lies about their military service. And there's numerous examples of this throughout history, where people lie in order to receive honor or recognition or certain benefits that they did not earn. In fact, I found out the the FBI estimates that for every actual Navy SEAL, there's at least 300 imposters. And more than twice as many people claim to have received the Medal of Honor than those who have actually earned it. And so when we hear stories like that, we're naturally disgusted because in each of those cases, someone is receiving praise and honor that they don't deserve. They're stealing the valor that rightly belongs to someone else. Well, in our passage this morning, we read about how King Herod failed to give God the glory. Instead of giving praise and honor to God, the one who deserved it, Herod tried to steal that praise and honor for himself. The message this morning is really a conclusion to the message from last week. So if you remember last Sunday, we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, where Luke introduces us to King Herod Agrippa. And what's important to remember is the fact that Herod, like all the other Herods before him, hungered for power and prestige. And everything he did was to accumulate more influence and further feed his pride. Well, being the evil king that he was, he began persecuting the church And he had James the Apostle put to death. And when he realized that the Jews were happy about that, he arrested Peter as well. 
And we know that his plan was to make a spectacle of Peter and bring him out before all the people during Passover and probably to have him executed as well. But as we saw last week, God had different plans, and he sent his angel to rescue Peter from prison. And then we read in Acts 12, verses 18 and 19, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So Herod's wicked plan to gain favor with the Jews by executing Peter had failed in a massive way. So to recover from his blunder, Herod took a little vacation. He went down to the coastal city of Caesarea. And so that's where we ended last week. And you might have been left wondering, what happens to Herod? Does he ultimately get away with his defiance against God? Well, that's where we find ourselves in our passage this morning. So before we read that, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to hear from your word. And as we open up your word this morning, God, we ask that you would allow us to hear exactly what you have to say to us. We ask you to expose the pride and the arrogance that may be hidden away in our own hearts. And God, lead us to repentance. Help us to understand that you alone are worthy of all praise and honor. God, I pray that you would allow us to see your glory and move us to worship you and you alone. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we walk through these verses, I want you to see three things that we learn from the life of King Herod. And you'll notice that these are three things that you cannot do. I know we all love to be told what we can't do, but that's what I've titled this message because sometimes we need to hear those sobering warnings to remind us of reality. So beginning in Acts 12, starting in verse 20, it says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. In verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. In verse 20, we're told that Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. We're not told exactly what happened or why he was angry with them, but evidently the two sides were at odds with one another. We do know that because Tyre and Sidon were coastal cities of Phoenicia, they were dependent upon Israel for their food supply. And it seems as though this dispute led Herod to cut off trade with these two cities. And so without food, they eventually had no choice but to go to him and ask for peace. 
So they end up sending this delegation to go to a man named Blastus, who is Herod's chamberlain, which would have made him the most trusted servant. And it's likely that they paid him, Blastus, a tribute, or paid him a bribe to be the mediator between them and Herod. Then starting in verse 21, we're told, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now, what's interesting is that this is not the only historical account of this event. We also have a retelling of this story from a man named Josephus, who was a Jewish historian at that time. And this is what's called corroborating evidence, or evidence outside of the Bible that supports the biblical account. And that's always good for us to remember that the Bible is not a book of mythology or fables, but it's a book based on historical events that are affirmed by historical evidence and geography and archaeology. And so this account from Josephus is one example of that evidence. So I want to read some of what he said because he gives us some interesting and helpful details in his account. He says, Now when Agrippa had reigned three years over all Judea, he came to the city Caesarea, and there he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar. A great multitude was gotten together of the principal persons, and such as were of dignity through, the, through his province. On the second day, he put on a garment made wholly of silver, and of, its, and of a contexture truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning, the silver of his garment being illuminated by the reflection of the sun's rays was so resplendent as to spread horror over those that looked intently upon him. And his flatterers cried out that he was a god. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their flattery. So Josephus, in his account, he tells us that this event occurred during a festival to honor Caesar. And all the most prominent men and women were gathered together, along with, presumably, this delegation sent from Tyre and Sidon. And on the second day of the festival, Herod struts out, draped in his fancy silver robes, glistening in the sunlight. So remember that Herod, he lived for moments like this. So, of course, he brings out the best robes spun with silver thread. And in Luke's account, Herod sat upon his throne and delivered a speech to the crowd. So the whole scene was a blatant display of arrogance and pride. Upon seeing Herod in his robes and hearing the words of his speech, the people cried out, the voice of a God and not of a man. So by flattering the king and calling him a God, the people of Tyre and Sidon knew that they could get what they really wanted, which was peace and food. Josephus says that Herod neither rebuked nor rejected their flattery, as if to say he should have known better as the king of Israel. So with that said, the first thing we learn from Herod's life is that you cannot share God's glory. In verse 23, Luke tells us, immediately 
an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So what does it mean to give God the glory? Well, based on our story this morning, it means giving praise and honor to God rather than taking praise and honor for yourself. God's glory is the perfection of His character. We know that God is perfect in love. He's perfect in justice, perfect in holiness, perfect in righteousness. In all of His attributes, God is perfect. Therefore, to give God the glory means to acknowledge His perfection, His beauty, His goodness, and to live your life to make much of Him. That's what Herod failed to do. In fact, he did the opposite. Instead of living to praise God, Herod lived for the praise of others. Just a few weeks ago, we read in Acts chapter 10 about how Peter received a vision, a vision from God, and God told him to go to a Gentile named Cornelius. And the reason was because God wanted Cornelius to hear the gospel and be saved. And I thought this was really interesting as I studied this, that Cornelius actually lived in Caesarea, the same city where Herod was in our story this morning. And similar to how Herod was praised by the crowd that day, I want you to listen to what happened when Peter arrived at Cornelius's house. In Acts 10, 25 to 26, it says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. You see, Peter recognized that God alone was worthy of worship. And so he corrected Cornelius by telling him to stand up, and he said, I too am a man, just like you. If only Herod had followed Peter's example. Instead, he accepted the praise of the crowd. You know, what's frightening about this story is how there's a little bit of Herod, I think, in all of us. Maybe you've never been told that you have the voice of a God, but you can probably think of times when you've received a well-meaning compliment, and instead of thanking God, and instead of remembering that it was God who gave you all of your abilities, you let that compliment feed your ego and your pride. You accepted that, that praise and you let it go to your head. Well, when someone like Andrew Isbell from our illustration earlier, when someone like that pretends to be a military hero when they're not, we should be offended at that because that's stealing honor that belongs to someone else. But how much more should we be offended at the thought of stealing the praise and honor that belongs to God alone? God stands opposed to those who make much of themselves. And God displayed that opposition, and he displayed his anger with Herod that day by sending an angel to strike him down. So that leads to the second thing that we learn from Herod's life, and that is that you cannot sidestep God's punishment. 
since Herod failed to give God the glory, he was struck down by God's angel. And it says he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Josephus also gives us some unique details in his account. He says a severe pain arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. And when he had been quite worn out by, by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life. So with both of these accounts taken into consideration, scholars have given numerous explanations as to Herod's exact cause of death. The Greek word translated as worms there actually comes from a word that refers to a tapeworm, and so some scholars suggest that Herod died from a ruptured cyst caused by a tapeworm. Others believe that it was an infection from intestinal worms or intestinal roundworms. Who's ready for lunch? (laughs) Well, still others have noted that the phrase, he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, may have been a literary way of describing the death of a tyrant. But what matters, what matters is that Herod's death was not just the result of natural causes, but it was by God's decree as a result of his pride. This story reminds us that if you stand in opposition to God, you're in danger of his punishment. This was just another day for Herod. He had no clue that his life would soon be taken away. Just think of all the wicked things that he had done previously and gotten away with. He violently persecuted the church. He put James, the apostle, to death by the sword. He arrested Peter, wanted to do the same with him. But it it was when Herod tried to steal God's glory that he was struck down. That tells us how seriously God takes his own glory. So let, let, let that be a warning to you if you're living in rebellion against God. You may be healthy, wealthy, praised by man, and succeeding in the moment, just like Herod. But for those who continue in opposition to God, there's no escaping his punishment. So we've seen that you cannot share God's glory, you cannot sidestep God's punishment, and finally, we see that you cannot stop God's plan. If you remember in Acts chapter 6, there was an issue within the church where certain widows were being neglected, and so a group of men were chosen to serve the widows and distribute food to them. And in Acts 6, 7, Luke tells us, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So Luke tells us that despite the issues that arose within the church, God's plan could not be stopped. Then we find in Luke or in in Acts chapter nine, where we're given Paul's conversion testimony. And we're told that after his conversion, he went to the synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. And so as a result, uh, the Jews, it says over and over again that the Jews were plotting how they might kill Paul. Nevertheless, in Acts 9.31, Luke says, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria 
had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So despite persecution and threats outside of the church, God's plan, again, could not be stopped. In nearly every chapter of Acts, we read about someone or something trying to derail God's plan. We hear of threats from religious leaders, the stoning of Stephen, the story of Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit, persecution from Saul. Then we come to our passage today. Herod had done all that he could to suppress the church and to oppose God. And yet verse 24 tells us, but the word of God increased and multiplied. So for the third time in the book of Acts, Luke reminds us that no matter what's happening inside the church, no matter what's happening outside of the church, God's plan cannot be stopped. Instead, God's church continues to grow and his word continues to spread. In fact, those who opposed God only served to further fulfill his purposes. And I think the early church understood that when they prayed in Acts chapter 4. And they said this, In this city, in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, a different Herod from our story this morning, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of these people had gathered together of their own accord in opposition to Jesus and to have Jesus killed. And yet it was God's plan all along for Jesus to suffer and to die on the cross. You see, God's plan to provide salvation through Jesus could not be stopped. And on the cross, Jesus was treated like Herod. He was struck down by God. But he wasn't just struck with an illness or worms. Jesus was crushed beneath the weight of God's wrath. The wrath of God that we deserve for all the times that we've failed to glorify God. All the times that we've accepted the praise and glory of men. Unlike Herod and unlike us, Jesus never once failed to glorify his Father. Therefore, Jesus is able to be our perfect substitute so that we don't have to experience God's punishment, so that we don't have to experience God's wrath. For the one who continues in opposition to God, there's only punishment. But for the one who repents and turns to Jesus as Lord and Savior, There's forgiveness and hope. Let's pray.